was watching Ben Chilwell pull his hamstring and then carried the tunnel and he was practically dead yeah when he had passed away like that, that word was used oh, it's, a, it's a tragedy subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent Mo 10 minutes past 8 Graham Hunter is with us Graham, good morning to you Lads, morning. Uh, nice of the uh, European draws yesterday to fix it. So we've loads to talk about this morning. Before we get to the magnificent European draws, uh, Gerard Piquet has mid-season retired and um, we were talking about the retirement video where it finishes with a, a delicate shot of him staring up at the president's box. And we all know what the implication is here. It's like, oh, I'm coming back to rule over you, baby. Uh, it's a remarkable end, I guess, but probably predictable in some ways. I don't know. What, what do you make of the whole thing? No, it's, it's shocking. I agree with everything you've said. Um, it, in the actual event itself, given that he played at Camp Nou, they won, he played well. The send-off was not discreet, but it was well-handled. Everybody stayed. The Camp Nou was full. It was buzzing. He got the appreciation that somebody who's won two trebles and a World Cup, a European Championship... Uh, repeat Champions League, somebody who's a local boy, born with an, a long goal kick of the stadium, somebody whose grandfather was at the club long before he was born, a, a footballer of real, I mean, genuine class. People are arguing now about whether he's not just the greatest centre-half in the history of Barcelona, but in the history of Spain. That's for other people to argue. I don't really care about charts like that, but... You know, it's 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 all wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. He is, um, particularly in the absence of Kunde and Araujo uh, while they've been uh, injured, he remains the solution to to Barcelona's problems. Uh, he's been forced out, partly because he he's a pungent character, but most principally because he earns so much money at a time when the club is desperately desperately in need of. Saving wages, not just to save their outlays, but to balance financial far, fair play as far as La Liga is concerned next summer. Uh, the money that Gerard Piquet and Jordi Alba and Busquets earn jointly is is literally phenomenal. Busquets ends his contract this year. Piquet had another year of contract. Alba's got another year of contract. If we're honest, we're talking about them being you know, net up in the region of that 60 million in terms of what Barcelona can save if they get rid of those uh, three guys, those captains. Whether Alba goes, I have my doubts. But there's also deferred money owed to them, bonus money. Um, the contracts that were negotiated on the previous board were ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And therefore, what's happened is that they've played on, as you and Shane both know, they've, they've played on the fact that PK has always said, I'm not going to finish my career at Barcelona on the bench. I'm not going to hang around. I've got better things to be doing in my life. I want to get on with things. I should be playing. And if I'm not playing, I'll go. So they, they pushed Xavi to say, bench him. He was benched. And he went. The fact remains that he is still uh, a footballer who should be in the team 90% of the weeks this season. The retirement should have come at the end of the season. He has the solutions, the experience, the height, the passing, that he can get over the fact that when, because he's not been playing and he turns 36 next February, there have been the occasional mistake here and there. He is the guy that could have seen them towards the title, a title which is now at least in the mix again after Madrid's defeat at uh, Rayo Vallecano last night. Is there a possibility he ends up somewhere else playing football? No. No. 
Uh, absolutely. Well, listen, because Piquet is is the most um, extraordinary guy you could meet in football. Um, maybe I was too strong there, but he's always said that he will never now play for another football club. He's got um, dreams about what he does with Andorra, the club that he's president, co-owner of. He's got dreams to do with the Davis Cup. He's got business investments to make. But he's also got a, 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 a situation where he's split from his partner, Shakira. I don't follow or care much about the social lives and the personal lives of, of the great stars, but it's a fact that the, Shakira wants to move to Miami. The two boys who were at the, the send-off match there against Almeria at the weekend, he wants to be near them. So going and playing for another club simply because there's football or money on offer and, and seeing less of his boys, just that won't happen. If somebody actually came and persuaded him that you know he should go and play for Inter Miami or something like that, then I suppose there's a one percent chance. My bet is that he doesn't play uh, club football again after tonight um, when Barcelona travel to Pamplona to face Osasuna. Well, when you say one of the most extraordinary people in football, <clears throat> Graham, uh, what do you mean by that? And and, and what you know, what's the Jared Pique that you've come to know? Well, the Jared Pique, I come to know people know their story, Shane. One example of the things that we've been, the, the moments we've been involved together would have been on the night of, the, of Spain winning the World Cup final. I've been in the dressing room filming. Outside, Pique came out in still in boots, shorts and his undershirt with a, a bottle of beer in his hand, looking for the goal nets. He only had a little pair of, you know, nail scissors that go with clipping bandages from the doctor. Went down to the pitch, came back up, was furious. The Nets had gone because they'd been celebrating so long. Nobody from FIFA or the stadium would help him. I decided to help him. We went on a grand tour of the stadium, the two of us. I shouldn't have been doing that, but he was angry and he was he was getting a little bit tetchy. And I thought, there's a situation brewing here. And after a long odyssey of a journey that I won't go into, but had incidents of its own, we ended up in the manager um, of the stadium, his office. And there was a little worker there, a guy in a little land rack, you know, a, a real job's worth, more than my job's worth. And he, he did a sort of poker tell. You know, PK's a, a, a big poker man, Shane, with, you know, hundreds of thousands being bet on on, on his career. And he, he did a little tell. Like, no, it's not here. And looked down there, and there was a big cardboard box like that. And and the guy ran, as we were talking, to pick up the box and try and lock it in a cupboard. And PK said to me, like, this is PK on the night of the World Cup final winning it. He said, listen, I'll punch him. You grab the nets, and we'll run for it. And, and I promise you, that was serious. He was furious. He wanted his nets. Just won the World Cup and you won't let me clip a little panel of net. And it went off and there were officials in the office and they threatened to sack me and PK was absolutely raging. And I'll punch him, you take the nets and we'll run. It sounds like it's from an Ealing comedy or something like that. But I use that as an example of what he's up to. He's ferocious. He's aggressive. He really, I mean, listen, it's, it's annoying. He's, he pisses people off. The, the board, he's been a nightmare for the board. They've tried to put exclusion clauses in his contract, but what he can, he can't do. Shane, which other footballer brings a quarter of a billion in sponsorship to the front of a, a jersey of, of a major club in the world? The club couldn't do it, but PK could. Which other player in your lifetime, football player, has gone out and bought the Davis Cup? I could go on and on and on and on and on. But in terms of his mind, his aggression, his the, the way he'll sneer at players who aren't up to his teammates, who aren't his standards, aren't bright enough. He's a haughty, difficult, aggressive, brilliant, competitive, challenging man. And he's already, at 35, a businessman of extraordinary stature. And I think in those terms, at least, 
I think he dwarfs anybody else that's gone before him in in, in modern football. Full stop. So, is there an obvious path to power at Barcelona, or will it be something different? Do you think? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question to answer. I still refer you to the the point about his two boys. Um, people have been talking about the campaign has started already. Well, if if Shakira gets custody and moves them to Miami, then Jared Pique temp- momentarily, temporarily being looking to to run the club in in Catalonia seems to me to be something that I, I'm unsure about. The path to glory is that Barcelona is still owned by its members. There are elections. It's guaranteed that certain a president can only stand two mandates. There, are, there must be elections every five years. There, there will come a time when his personal situation and his business situation allows him to put himself forward for the presidency. Whether that's immediately or not is something that I don't know as a fact. I wouldn't claim to know unless I did, then I'd tell you. Um, short term, I think Laporta is, is probably safe. And it would be very like PK not to sit and wait and be ordinary until the financial situation is better. And Barcelona have been in Montjuic where they're, they're scheduled to move this summer. So the seasons in Montjuic, big clubs without their own stadium tend to be horrible places, traumatic places. The, the, the time you're outside the stadium or the time you're living in the stadium, it's been built. That always elongates. Normal people would say, I tell you when I want to be president is when the good times are back. That's not the way PK thinks. It would be typical of him to say, now, and the club knows, most needs me, now I'm, he doesn't do it for ego. He certainly doesn't do it to please people or for adulation. He does it because he's got a vision. So I think he would like to be taking over promptly, but I don't think his family situation allows that. I think we've got a little bit of time, and then in due course, health allowing, we'll see President PK. All right, going to be very interesting to, to follow that career and see what happens in in the meantime. Um, I, I do want to. Um, so the the Liverpool Real Madrid draw. I think Shane, you were making the joke, or somebody's making the joke earlier on about how got to be careful what you wish for when you're Florentino Perez. I want to play the big teams more often. Like, okay, we're going to fix that now for you, Florentino. Straight away, we're going to get you two games against Liverpool. Exactly what you wanted in the European Super League. Uh, against that backdrop, right? Um, today, Manchester City have announced record profits and record revenue. They're the second highest uh, revenue generators in the history of English football. Manchester United beat them a couple of seasons ago, the last season before COVID, I think. Um, and FSG made their um, slightly Jesuitical statement yesterday about looking for more investment. But, you know, if somebody wants to buy the whole thing, that might also be on the table, definitely. Um, uh, knowing all that, this is kind of a roundabout way to ask you about the, the ownership of Liverpool and, and where the game is going at the moment. Um, we're definitely watching an era of um, the the biggest billionaires uh, being trumped by nation states. Have you have you any thoughts on the Liverpool takeover? Yes, I could. You've, I mean, it's not only a complicated subject. You've you've asked it in a in a complicated way because first of all, you you're comparing it with a country where two of the leading clubs are still member run. Florentino Perez is treated like an owner and acts like an owner. But in theory, he still needs to be elected. And, and given his age, there'll come a stage whereby change will occur at Real Madrid. And I remember across all the 20-something years that you and I have been broadcasting together on this station, 
there have been halcyon times when everybody in Ireland or Scotland or England is saying, well, membership ownership is, is the only way to go. And, and then you get an idiot like Bartomeu ruining football club Barcelona. In terms of state and billionaire ownership of, of clubs, particularly in the Premier League, we've passed the point of no return. I, I fail to imagine a governing body or a government which will say this is how football clubs were going to enact law such that football clubs can't be owned in this manner. And for, for so long as individuals, corporations or nation states feel that there are benefits beyond returns. You talked about Manchester City's financial returns that they announced the other day. However you want to phrase it, there are extremely different reasons why the people that own Paris Saint-Germain and own Liverpool and own Chelsea and own Manchester City and own Manchester United are in the game. Now, in terms of Manchester United, the people who own them, I think, are in it for their own personal financial gain. The majority of the rest of them either, like Bowley, I think, believe that they're in it for a little bit of fun, a little bit of uh, ego, and potentially Fenway, for example, bought at a very low price, and are gonna, if they sell, they're going to sell at a big profit. But it's, it's about growing the, the brand, growing the club, selling, uh, you know, buying short and selling long. Yearly profits, that's something that the Glazers have done because of their model of how they, personal profit, how they, how they run the club. So there's, even though we're now talking about um, very different in all the clubs we've named in the Premier League from the way that Barcelona and Real Madrid are owned and run, there's a wide variety of reasons that people are in for it. And if nation states believe that they can help their image or change the way that people perceive them or make people come and visit them on holiday. I see absolutely no way back from this, either from the Premier League, the FA, or any putative future UK government. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. And I think that Liverpool fans need to be a little bit anxious about new potential investment, where it's going to come from, new potential owners, where it's going to come from. There's always a, a royal family who has another member who's a separate company, and so therefore it's not the same thing, but actually, you know, they're they're related somewhere along the way. Um, and, you- and, and, and the, you know, I, I, I don't want to pick on some of the Liverpool fans who I've seen going, well, this is good, or Fenway aren't spending enough, or our current dip is because, <clears throat> as far as I can tell, talking, looking at their football, watching their trophy lifts, but talking to their staff, in general, Fenway have been extremely good owners in terms of particularly backing the department that chooses how to select managers, how to sell players, how to buy players. There's been a full integration of, we know you're experts, we'll fund you to the degree we're willing to, and then we'll leave you to get on with it, and well done, and here's support, and let's review. And while Liverpool fans are, are ticked off, because none of us have got any patience now, about the current situation, and, and a lot of wise people I see going, well, I knew. And in the time that Fenway have been in charge of Liverpool, they've done a damn good job of supporting the, the the people who run it locally, either in terms of organisation, scouting, or the football side, they've been they've been good owners that have utterly changed the, the recent fortunes of Liverpool Football Club. So you're right, 
Um, what happens next? Like you said about Florentino, be careful what you wish for. Mm. Um, the defeat last night that Real Madrid suffered to uh, Vallecano, it, um it wasn't that much of a shock shock, was it? Totally a shock, given Vallecano not been pretty good recently. Tony Cruz was out, I think. Chris was out, Benzema was out. Um, in recent matches, let's set the Celtic game aside where Celtic went out and played toe-to-toe and got spanking because Madrid love games like that. It was all very entertaining and you can see that Ange Postacoglu is very consistent in what he asks. There isn't criticism in my voice of it, but in, in recent matches, um, particularly home draws, you've seen Madrid's level intensity dropping a little bit. So no Benzema, no cross against the side on a very tight pitch and a very hostile, very colourful stadium. The idea that they might lose was not ludicrous. The fact that they would lose three goals and lose in that manner, I think has been a little bit surprising. And the degree to which they were they were outfought, outcompeted. You you can you can find Rayo via kind of ferocious and what's more, Rayo a really a lookout for uh, their coach, um, Raola, ex-athletic in Spain, rightful back, Manchester City group, I had him for a little while at, at New York. The, that guy's a proper, proper coach. Really, really special. Uh, United Barca in the Europa League as well, Graham. Quite an interesting draw. Um, can I just ask you one aspect on that? Something that struck me at the weekend was, uh, and it's it's a bit, of a bit of a query over here, the fact that um, David De Gea has been one of the bright sparks for United in recent games uh, the last three or four games albeit conceding three at the weekend but um, he's not been named in, in Spain's 55 man squads which would suggest that you know they think that there's four goalkeepers better off than him so look he's a man who played every game in the 2018 World Cup so it seems like a bit of a fall from grace but was it a, is it a surprise in Spain that, that he's not in the reckoning for the World Cup I don't know I don't know if it's a fall from grace if you're not in one World Cup four years after the other one Shane yeah. and I think that Look, you, 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 you're, you're right in that when a goalkeeper is playing well for a couple of games for Manchester United, he's going to get local press. But you've seen, you've seen Luis Enrique Martinez long enough to know that that's not how he operates. Mm. He doesn't say, well, boy, the, the, that fella's had a couple of good games. I'm now going to forget the things that I didn't like about him. So in terms of De Gea's form over the last couple of years, there's been criticism around him for Manchester United. He's talked about himself needing to improve. Originally, it was thought that he was good enough with his feet to make him special beyond his saves. There was a time when Lucien Ricci thought that too. Lucien Ricci wasn't in charge in Russia, remember. Now, the, the goalkeepers he's picked, it is absolutely paramount that they are brilliant with their feet. He's as um, insistent as Pep Guardiola is that, it's, that the team is 11 footballers and that the 11th man is also an exceptional goalkeeper. Now, whether or not having seen enough of the, your man at uh, Brentford or um, Sanchez at, at Brighton, neither um, in terms of big pressure matches in Premier League, nor for Spain, whether during Qatar people are ultimately going to say, well, coach, you got it wrong, the hair should have been there. That's a different debate. But Luis Enrique Martinez, Shane, is extremely consistent in what he does and doesn't want. And once you're out... Uh, particularly in the goalkeeping role, it, it tends to be a very long road back and I'm in no way surprised that he won't be on the list on 11th of November. Frankie de Jong finally heading to Old Trafford as well. It's a, it's an intriguing tie in a number of ways, Graham. Boom. Um, yeah. Just remember, he's the one who, who stopped the whole thing, didn't want it to happen, said I'm not coming. Um, yeah, it's an interesting tie. and uh, You know, I speak to Chabby um, outside press conferences and, and that's a little privilege and I like him very much and 
and appreciate the very much that we've got a guy of his vision and his ideas back in football. Doesn't doesn't have to be a bus owner for my taste. I, I think well of him. Occasionally he's still a little bit naive. He's ah oh, the worst team we could have got. It's happened again. You know it was it was what was it Galatasaray, Napoli, Eintracht Frankfurt last season. You know Galatasaray away, Napoli away, plus the, the ultimate winners. We were a group this season. This is his words, not mine. Inter and Bayern Munich. And yesterday he went, and now we've got United. Gee, thanks. The worst team. You don't say that. You don't say you never say that. It's going to be fun. Um, on form, Barcelona are becoming more interesting. In Europe, they've looked porous at the back. Yes, there's a danger that they get knocked out. I think it's going to be a beautiful tie. February is further away than it should be, normally speaking, in November because of this World Cup. And therefore, I haven't got the faintest idea who goes through. And, and you can use that clip over and over again for the rest of my life. But it's the same. It's the same with the Liverpool Real Madrid. It's like, who knows? Who Who is going to still be fit when these teams meet? Yep. And like, it, so we were we were talking about this yesterday with Nana Manua. If, if Man City have to uh, reintegrate those English players after the state. Let's just say they've won a World Cup. Like we, we were whispering it, you know, uh, lest it, you know, not three times, make sure it doesn't happen. I, I said, I said, I have no idea about Manchester um, <laughs> United, but I do have an idea about that. No chance. Right. Well, just just imagine having to get Phil Foden and Jack Grealish back playing football after a week on the complete piss. Like they could take a couple of months off if they were to win it. Something stronger than that, so long as you don't want me off the off the air. I, over my career. Um, in an interview once with Zidane and because um, Shurla was a Chelsea player and I was at the Chelsea training ground interviewing and the staff told me those players uh, Zidane talked about needing six months to even come to terms with having won the World Cup in 98 lost didn't know what was happening the uh, uh, putting in the same effort not getting the same returns Shurla went to his staff and said I have no idea why I'm playing rubbish. I'm training as hard. And this was nothing to do with celebrations or alcohol or or, or, or mentally going, I'm a world champion. I'm going to take a couple of months off. The two of them in particular were talking about the effect that that life-changing impact has on you is beyond your own control. Now, maybe not every player will be like that, but in some of the clubs that we generically talk about and in some of the clubs we're talking about right now, there probably should be World Cup winners. So as you point out, irrespective of you, you were talking about going on the lash in England, but there's something much, much more profound than, than even it's it's not about tiredness. It's about state changing impact that sometimes elite footballers have no idea what's going on or how to cope with it. Yeah, great point. I hadn't even thought of that. Like if Vinicius scores the winner in the World Cup final, it's like you, you're ascending onto an entirely different plane. How do you come back down and then be at Anfield looking around you going your man's kicking me but I just won the World Cup like I don't really care about this tonight or else he comes back and is like I'm going to score a hat-trick tonight because I'm the greatest thing of all time it'll be the impact in my opinion will be for the players you're talking about England you know away to Fulham away to Brentford oh god here we go again and do we have to go down there or a cup game up at Carlisle or in Spain it'll be like gee do we have to get our legs kicked off down at Almeria or it's all the way up north to the Basque country where it's frozen again and that's where I think the the bit the, 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 the gear change where you can't you're like what's happening to me why I'm, I want this but it's not there that's that's what I think the impact comes and and given the way we talk about and given the way that the Champions League inevitably will feature the type of players footballers we're talking about there are also going to be several footballers who, who are going there right now genuinely believing they're going to win and who won't 
some will react with, right, I'll show you for the rest of the season. And some will be sitting, sucking their thumb in the corner moping. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, we haven't a clue what's going to happen in the second half of this season. It is going to be wild. Graham, brilliant to have you with us. Thanks a million. Lads. That's uh, Graham Hunter there giving us some... That's a, I hadn't thought about that. Well, Spain are more likely to win the World <clears throat> Cup. So then all of a sudden, uh, United and, and Liverpool are going, oh, these lads will be... Are Spain more likely than England? I would have thought so, yeah. I, I don't know what the, what the bookies think, but geez, surely. I think we're all sleeping on how good England are, unfortunately. OTB AM. With Gillette, in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.